So today we're going to begin with, uh, on kind of an unusual note, for over, um, what, maybe about three years, uh, a lot of you got used to the comedy introductions where Kyone Wolf's great talents were paired up with a male voice actor whose name either you did know or you didn't know. You might have picked it up at some point. His name was Greg Hill, and he just, over the years, developed all kinds of uh, special voices and uh, played various long-suffering roles like uh, Igor or Gregor, the assistant to Dr. Wolfenstein and all this stuff. So anyway, uh, a few months ago there was a downsizing here, and Greg got caught in that tide, and we, uh, to our great despair, lost him. Uh, and we still miss him, and I, st- I still want to write stuff for him, and he's not here anymore. But we haven't really paused to do a little tribute to the work that Greg did. So uh, Wolfie has put together a, a Greg Hill highlight reel. Uh, so uh, here we go. Excuse me, Mrs. Beethoven. It is the dreaded puma, an antelope hybrid that does not adapt well to domestic life. That's called, there are leeches in this pond. I believe Mr. Rockwell intended it as a comic piece. The important thing is to be caring, planning, and laissez-faire. Anything would be better than this agony of mind, this creeping pain that gnaws and fumbles and caresses one and never hurts quite enough. Thank you for agreeing to this private meeting, Mrs. Clinton. Tie Lunch 3, The Rise of Reflux. In space, no one can hear you burp. It was always burning since the world's been turning. If Benedict Arnold goes with the British, the British will have so much winning that the British may get bored with winning. Can we still sneak up on children and whisper, This is a dream you can't wake up from. Welcome to Robex. Are you ready to flood your body with the tasty nutrients required to meet your daily demands? Would you care to hear a panic room, gente? Do you follow me, you stack of bad cheese? Fellow superheroes, the evil robot Stupendo has teamed up with a secret basket of super deplorables. Evelyn is a moron. She thought Taco Bell was a phone company. Sup, Rumi? That is not how the Ding Dong Killabrew and Baba Ganoush Brothers Circus works, you pinhead. Hey, 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 Barshan, Kushalbar. Come here. Let's have a little Moonlight Sonata. That is not what Beyonce voters care about. They want hot dancing to dope beats. And honey, right now, you look like Regis Philbin trying to pick up his keys. Damn you, Daddy! Damn, damn, damn you, Daddy! Put on your man panties. What are you, a little pregnant Asian woman who works for a humanities museum? That's who drinks pumpkin spice lattes. That's okay. We have to go anyway, right? We have opera tickets. Maybe we need to rethink how we understand cowardice and bravery. Maybe get a bunch of philosophers together and talk about Kierkegaard. But for now... No, 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 not the closet. Run away from the closet. He's in the closet. Pumpkin fest rules, brah. Crack open the natty light and let's some jack-o'-lanterns. And that's why a lot of my friends at the Philatelist Club say, Kevin, there's never anything new. But then I say, what about the 2014 Macau stamp with a turtle in the mathematical puzzle known as the magic square? Kid, I'm going to stop you right there. If you sing one more note, I want some of that chloroform you gave Louise. Who doesn't like it? Danny Zuko, Frenchie, Putsy, Duty. Because who knows what kind of inner psychic damage has been done to you by walking around with that pink and white face, that nose, those eyes. Jim, tan, laundry. And make a run at that Bristol Palin. <laughs> Ba-boom! <laughs> this week on This American Life, we gave the play-by-play team of the Phoenix Suns the night off. Don't say it like a nasty woman. Say it nice. I'm trying to do my taxes, but they make the asset life cycle management section of Schedule SE so complicated, I feel like a figado. There is always hope. Maybe not for this particular basket case, but 
perhaps for the next one to come along. Mucor, come in here at once. It's Gregor. It's Gregor. It's Gregor. Gregor. It's Gregor. It's Gregor. It's Gregor, Dr. Wolfenstein. All right. I wrote all those things. I have no idea what 90% of them were about, but that was really great. And fabulous editing by Kion Wolf, and that was our Greg, a great, beloved, wonderful Greg Hill. All right. So it's time to get uh, down to brass tacks here, as they say, on the nose. And first of all, let's meet the panelist, James Hanley, co-founder of Cine Studio at Trinity College. Also from Trinity College, Irene Papoulis, who teaches writing there. And Tracy Wu Fastenberg is director of development at the Covenant Preparatory School. We're going to begin with the meeting, the summit between Kanye West and uh, Donald Trump, uh, sometimes known now as Donye. And, and I th- they met. They, they met this week. They talked about life, supposedly. Um, we have been trying to unpack this via our email conversations. Uh, I don't know if we know yet what to make of it. Although, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, I think I have to allow you to lodge a complaint with which all of us kind of agree that we're talking about something that's probably meant to distract, distract us from Russian hacks and the packing of the cabinet with oligarchs. Absolutely. I think that, you know, these types of stunts, whether actually planned and calculated or just sort of, you know, embedded in their personalities, particularly Trump's, are just meant to be, you know, like, hey, look over here. And we're all buying into it because it's just so weird and you can't not talk about it. But so why can't we? Why can't we not talk about it? So, Irene, why can't we not talk about it? In other words, publicity stunts don't work if nobody cares about them. Uh, on the other hand, and yes, as Jonathan is pointing out to me, it's kind of our mission at the nose to, to cover distractions. <laughs> so, yeah. so distractions don't work if people aren't distracted by them. Why are we so distracted by this? Because those two personalities are 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 fascinating in their in their outrageousness. I mean, um, I think. Um, you know, they just they're they're and and it's first of all, you wouldn't you wouldn't think that the two of them would go together you, necessarily, or I wouldn't I wouldn't have, but um, when you, when when you see them together, you, you start to. Th- I mean, we read this article from Slate. Can I bring that up? You can bring that up. <laughs> you know, um, in which the author, whose name I don't remember, um, it, uh, you know, says they're both uh, improvisational, controversial performers with megalomaniac, megalomaniacal dreams. You know, and you see them together, and the author made the point that there's the two stars, and you're going to see like which one is going to win, which which star's brightness is going to pull the other to it, and she sort of concludes that. Trump is pulling the lightness from Kanye and deflating him in the process by doing that. And so that's that's very dramatic and interesting to watch. All right, James, I could ask you a specific question, but I, I think I'd just rather hear what you're thinking right now. Well, I, I was thinking, of, uh, is there a way to sort of inoculate us against being infected with this stuff? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like... Um, Yes, it's like there's a there's a synergy that takes place between media and the performers, and so it's waiting for the next thing that happens, and then the pack pursues that next thing, and it means that space that would be taken up if you had a real interest in what was going on, you know, if you could really find out, would be to actually get the facts of what's going on with the government, what... Who, where exactly is our government going? Uh, is our democracy being destabilized, and are we headed for real trouble as a result of that? And what we have to get through is this incredible miasma of irrelevance of these performers who are so able to command the conversation that it means that 
that immediacy fits in with the public's desire for something that fits in 10 seconds or a minute and that sort of immediate sort of response to things that doesn't require them to actually read something at length or hear lengthy commentary, actually know something about what's going on. I mean, this is serious stuff. This is our democracy. And this, this is this this was the day that um, Kurt, the article in Newsweek came out about uh, Trump's business interests around yes, the world yeah. and all that. But I think, you know, I mean, that is what the whole election is based on, is our f- people's fascination and, you know, with whatever Trump represents. And, so, and it, made, it makes us uniquely, v- v- uniquely vulnerable to the whole sort of subversion that can take place by somebody who wants to destroy the very structure that makes it possible to make a democracy function. And so it, it, it's like the more it happens, the more vulnerable we become because we don't have the that we don't have the conversation we should have. We're not able to actually see. I mean, the words that are used. You know that that um, I actually read this morning. Somebody actually wrote somewhere uh, in an article, I think, in the Guardian online, uh, talking about how the Republicans got away with stealing a Supreme Court seat. Well, that's the first time I've heard that word steal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that. Okay, so that got my attention. Now I, I want to sort of you know talk about that. Yes, actually. You know, these structural things about our democracy are things that actually involve words like stealing, like making it impossible for things to happen, like making it impossible for a government agency to function, demonize the very structure of government. And to me, the demonization of the structure of the government is intimately linked with this whole nonsense about Trump and and Kanye West. It means really that it, it it's it's a confirmation of the triviality of what the government really is. Therefore, it's not us. So therefore, we don't have to care. So let's treat it like a circus. Well, you know, first of all, um, let's hear a little clip of um, before I, I have a specific thing I want to talk to Tracy about. Uh, let's hear a little clip of uh, this is Trump talking about Kanye and maybe it's got a little bit of Kanye in it, too. Somehow there are comparisons made so often, which is interesting. Comparisons with Kanye and myself, I don't quite get it. Well, he said very nice things about me in the past, and he knows my daughter a little bit, Ivanka, and he, uh, he said very good things about me, very, very, po- extremely positive things. As you probably could have guessed by this moment, I have decided in 2020 to run for president. I was actually watching, I saw him do it, and I said, that's very interesting. I wonder who gave him that idea. Miley Cyrus said, oh, I was going to vote for Trump, but now I'm voting for you. So it sounded like she was all made up for me, and he took her away. He's actually a a different kind of a person than people think. He's a nice guy. I hope to run against him someday. All right, so there you go. And and one of the things that I was throwing out uh, this week was, first of all, one thing to tell you is one of the artifacts from this meeting is the uh, Time Person of the Year cover inscribed by Donald Trump to Kanye. You are a great friend. Thanks. Which means that he has a whole stack of those Time magazines, and anybody who visits probably gets one. Um, that doesn't surprise us. But, you know, there's sort of embedded on all this the notion that Obviously, some of our standards have shifted around here, and some of those shifting standards are, are are emblematic in these two people, right? That, you know, not that Kanye West isn't a talented musician, but there's something about the strut and the self-aggrandizement that's become more the art than the art that sits behind it. And, and, and again, I think as Irene is suggesting, that was also true in this election, that Trump's incredible ability to exalt himself was part of the performance that propelled him to the White House. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that when we when we look at 
any substance behind either one of them, there's very little. You know, I think about um, what was that music video that was parodied by James it was uh, Seth Rogen and James Franco, Mm -hmm. I think, that uh, Kanye and and Kim did. You know, that was all sort of done for, oh, my gosh, look at this. There wasn't a whole lot of actual art behind it, I think, in most people's opinions. And and that's sort of what Kanye has been reduced to. Um, You know, and you sort of think about why the two of these people, um, you know, Kanye West was sitting there during Katrina saying, George Bush hates black people. Mm. And now he's buddy-buddy with a, a, a guy who sort of legitimized white supremacy in, in so many ways and opened the door to it. And you sort of wonder, you know, what happened there? What happened to the substance behind, you know, maybe he wasn't elegant in the way he said it, but he was expressing, you know, a vehement opinion and, and you know, some of the anger against racism that yeah. he was, that he I mean, was perceiving. Right. I, and I think... I just feel like we have to say, we automatically have to say when we're talking about this is like, it's just completely outrageous. You know, this is sort of a parenthesis, but it's just like the whole thing is just completely outrageous. You know, I mean, the way the fact that Trump won, the fact that we're not talking about his business interests around the world, the fact that, you know, there's there's an incredible racism that's being stirred up by him. That that is outrageous. But right now for our conversation, if we just if we focus, if we sort of switch back and focus on the the, it may actually what you said, Tracy, just made me think about like what is so appealing about because there's something very, very, very appealing to people about, you know, this a person that says, I don't care about any of the rules. I'm going to break all the rules. I'm going to do it my way. I'm important. Everything about me is important. And I don't care about you unless you like me. And then I love you. Right. You know, I, I'm going to break um, all the rules and expect you to love me and expect, and expect you to worship me. And so there's like a I feel like there's a there's a real um, vicarious thrill that people get out of that. And that's why pe- we want to watch it. And that's why people want to watch it. And, you know, so I think there's, you know, and it has to do with the sense of impotence, maybe that people feel. You know, and they see someone doing that and it's like, wow, this is this is this is so exciting. You know, it's so exciting and amazing to vicariously imagine yourself there, maybe or to the to the point where we don't care what that, you know, big flick off to to society is. We just want to watch the show. You know, we don't care mm-hmm. about what's being said or, or how it's being said. We just want to watch it. And, and that's disappointing. I want to shift the second half of this conversation a little bit towards the relationship of the presidency to the arts, because this is a we're seeing Donald Trump meet with one of the very few representatives of the arts who's willing to meet with him. Uh, and he's having a lot of trouble getting anybody to sing uh, at his inauguration. There <laughs> are, Kanye? There are Kanye rumors. Well, it's unclear, but yeah. there are rumors that ambassadorships have been flung around around uh, as offers, as ways to get some kind of uh, high-powered talent to, to perform at the inauguration. Um, so, I mean, I think it might be good just to hear a little bit from the incumbent uh, that would be, or not the, yeah, the incumbent, the departing president, uh, Barack Obama, talking a little bit about the arts and about Kanye. You may have heard about this. Kanye is thinking about running for Speaker of the House. I couldn't get any stranger. I do have advice for him. There's some stuff that I've picked up on the way. First of all, you've got to spend a lot of time dealing with some strange characters who behave like they're on a reality TV show. (laughs) So you've got to be cool with that. Second, this, this is a second important tip. Saying that you have a beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy Uh, That's what's known as off-message in politics. You can't say something like that. There are a lot of people who've lost their congressional seats saying things like that. You don't do that. 
That's number two. <laughs> and number three, do you really think that this country is going to elect a black guy from the south side of Chicago with a funny name to be president of the United States? That is crazy. That's crazy. That's great. So, James, you know, rarely, maybe never in our lifetimes has there been a president so fluidly comfortable with popular culture as President Obama. I mean, notwithstanding, you know, Bill Clinton obviously could thread certain needles there and and Jackie made, you know, the White House uh, under Jack Kennedy a place for Pablo Casals and, uh, you know, Tabaldi and, and, you know, Callis and stuff like that. But this is different. There's a way in which Barack Obama even in a drought of funding, which you probably want to talk a little bit about, has made the White House seem like a place that was very arts-friendly. Well, that's an interesting thing, yes, because I think that he's in a way, he's not of the arts, but he is an agent of, he's perceived by sort of the arts community in a way as a kind of agent of, of being somebody who's friendly to the idea. But he doesn't seem to have the strength of sort of like to be able to break through to on substantive things like funding. But I think his influence on culture has been extraordinary. I mean, certainly, if you think in comparison with what we're stuck with now, um, I mean, it certainly shows that that an educated person with an interest and a knowledge of the arts and also, you know, his facility with, 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 with a sense of social change in the country and his awareness and to be able to maintain his focus on things like that amidst all the stuff that's been thrown at him over the past eight years and more is is something that indicates a, a great strength of sort of self-awareness, I think. And it's something that is only – it's an irony that it's only now becoming in focus in the face of something that is 180 degrees away from that. And so it's uh, – it, he's had an extraordinary effect. But you also have to look at the actual practical structure of government, the oppositional nature of government and the gotcha – uh, legal situation and the the fact that Congress has been able to shut down funding for anything that he has wanted to do with the arts. And so the arts in many cases now are supported by people whose interest in the arts is not unalloyed. I mean, they're, they're people with a great deal of money who want to influence what's happening. They want to be able to have some sort of counterbalance to what they see as a social runaway of the arts. And so I think that's something that um, he hasn't been able to change. And I, I think now, of course, it's not going to change for a long time uh, unless something strange happens. But it's something uh, something strange, like, <laughs> like he doesn't, like we don't get President something Trump. Stranger. Well, I, you know, I, I sort of have this vague feeling in the back of my mind. I, I know it's crazy, but the 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 idea that the electoral college might produce a surprise, I know it's not going to happen. But I um, think we, I think a lot. I, doesn't it sort of feel? Like, I think a lot of people feel like that, though. Like so, it, this can't really go but it's through. A bad Toes dream and fingers and are it crossed. Can't, yeah. it, it can't happen. It's, I know. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. And and I think that that's also part of this whole thing, that there's a kind of unreality to everything about this. Yeah. There's an unreality to the whole nature of the Kanye uh, Trump meeting that, you know, it's this social media fueled instant of time that's like a blip that's there that's not really significant at all that 
is not addressing what real things are happening. And the real things that are happening, you're thinking that's a bad dream. It can't right. It's so hard I, I to want, hear it. I do yeah. want to stand yeah. up for Obama in one way, which is, first of all, people forget that at the beginning, and we're going to be doing a piece, I think, next week on NPR about this. At the beginning in 2009, they went to the Hirshhorn and places like that, and they got, you know, Albers stuff and Rothko stuff, but they also got a lot of African-American uh, painters' yeah. work, mm-hmm. and they got Native American pottery and stuff, and they said, no, this is all going into the White House, you know? And, and I also think think that I give him credit. We're about to hit a fundraising break, so I only got maybe a minute to hear back from from one of you. I'm pointing at you right now, Wu. But, you know, that whole idea of a president who uses the arts and is nourished by the arts, that Lin-Manuel Miranda came and performed the opening of Hamilton while he was still writing Hamilton. He workshopped it in a White House performance. That's sort of a notion of a first couple who see the arts not just as something that you kind of exhibit and curate for other people, but that you live with and are nourished by. Right. And I, I think that that's exactly the point. You know, I think the article that what was that a Times article that you shared about, you know, how his relationship with the art seems different. It's because I think it's more immersive. You know, they talk about how he has attended, you know, arts events for kids and, you know, bringing in his own culture and, and arts from, you know, non-traditional arts, I guess is the best you can call it because it's not necessarily westernized in the same way that we think of western arts. And he can right. sing and dance. Too. He can yeah. sing and dance. That's right. Yeah. He can do that Al Green thing. Yeah. You know, that was an amazing <laughs> moment when he did that. All right. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break here. If you like the conversation we're having right now and you think it is a weird, strange time where crazy things happen, maybe you need us more than ever. Maybe you'll support this radio station with a donation when these nice people start. Wait a minute. Yeah, people are going to start talking to you right now. All right, we are back. We've got all kinds of interesting stuff coming up in the, particularly in January. So Betsy Kaplan was trying to book Wednesday next Wednesday show today because we had a little hole and. And she kept trying to book people for all these other really fascinating shows, and they couldn't do them until January. So I think she booked like five really great shows in January today, uh, but had still hadn't solved that problem. We've fought and since then solved that problem in, a, I hope, a very interesting way. Uh, joining us in the studio right now, James Hanley, co-founder of Cine Studio in Trinity College, Professor Irene Papoulis, uh, who teaches writing at Trinity College, and Tracy Wu Fastenberg, Director of Development at Covenant Pre- Pre- Preparatory School. She's actually the person mentioned in the uh, Greg Hill montage, the uh, tiny Asian woman who drinks uh, pregnant, pregnant. Asian, yeah, pregnant Asian woman <laughs> who drinks pumpkin spice lattes. All right, so this week uh, another thing happened. Things just happen, you know. I mean, that's sort of a law of nature. What happened was that the UN, uh, only two months in. Uh, having given Wonder Woman the role of honorary ambassador for the empowerment of women and girls. Um, they kicked her out of that job. This, we should say this honorary ambassador role is reserved for fictional characters championing, champ, championing particular causes. So in the past, Winnie the Pooh and Tinkerbell uh, have had that same title. I'm not sure what particular causes they championed. But anyway, um, Wonder Woman, because she is uh, busty and wears thigh-high boots and is just too sexualized for some people and because uh, she's white, uh, maybe that's a problem too. So um, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, uh, you did have a little bit of a problem with the wielder of the lasso of truth. (laughs) And I know I'm going to get some flack from friends who are huge Wonder Woman fans too. Um, but I, I was sort of conflicted. Um, one, I actually didn't realize until a friend pointed out that she is from the Amazon. But to me, she's a white. Oh no, she's Greek. She's an Amazonian. She's, she's an, an Amazon, Amazon woman, so okay. she would be theoretically more or less Greek. Greek. So she's still a, a white woman or, or white presenting, or, whatever or you, you want to call women. it. She's not so. Greek. She's a, she's an, she's a woman from the Amazonian tribe, but I don't think that's from the Amazon. Okay. 
They're like oh. in Greek mythology. This is this is way too complicated. So you know, and and as a non-white woman, for me, you know, this is a woman who's representing women all over the world, and we're not all white, you know. And sometimes we want to see somebody who looks like us or, or does, is not the same that's pr- portrayed all the time. Um, and so, if she's representing everyone, I'm sure there are other options that are a little more diverse. Um, and also, you know, I was con- really conflicted on the attire and her and her figure, I guess, you know, which is a source for folks to criticize and say that's not appropriate. It's not appropriate for children or whatnot. And, and it's sort of, you know, do I want somebody who's somewhat sexualized to be representing all women when, you know, we've women for so long have fought so hard to to not be seen that way? Yes. But on the flip side, you know, we should have some autonomy over our bodies and and not. Um, be criticized for what we choose to wear or, you know, what our figures look like or how, you know, we choose to portray ourselves or the attitudes that we have. So I really have a sort of a, a conflicting thought on that. You're I'm struggling. I'm struggling well, I mean, hard on that. Isn't part of the struggle, Irene, that, I mean, uh, yes, I mean, I get all that, all those critiques and I think they're all somewhat valid, although it worries me that judging somebody based on their appearance is part of the problem that is that feminism attempts to address. So to suggest that because Wonder Woman is busty, uh, she has nothing interesting to say um, <laughs> might, might be just as almost as bad as doing the opposite. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Well, especially because what Wonder Woman and yeah, I share your concerns too, um, Tracy. But I wonder what, what woman Wonder Woman is known for is her power and her strength and her ability to do stuff and make get things done and be and be strong and powerful. So maybe that side that you know, if Tinkerbell can do it, you know, surely Wonder Wonder Woman should be able to do it. I she mean, used to know what Tinkerbell was representing too. Yeah. So. Tinkerbell to yeah. me is like a total secretary. You exactly. Know? I mean, it's like you know, she's yeah. really, so James. I think another part of this Always is asking for permission. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, yeah. another part of this is what's the most potent set of cultural metaphors, not only here but globally these days, it really is this superhero mythos. For good or ill, this is sort of a dominant way in which the world is being understood culturally right now. And I have to say that um, st- uh, stuck in a hotel room in California a couple of weeks ago, I watched that uh, very dreary Superman and Batman versus Batman movie. And the only thing that could have saved it was Gal Gadot. Uh, as Wonder Woman, who's like not on enough, but she's going to be coming along this summer in her own movie, and I think she's part of the Justice League movie too. And I was looking at her and going, "Wow, there's something really exciting about this." I'm so bored. <laughs> I never thought I would say this, being a comic book kid, but I'm so bored with so many of these franchises, and I'm so bored with how depressed Batman is all the time. And there's something really exciting about this woman, you know, who in fact can beat the crap out of some of these other people. Well, I think when you break through stereotypes and you bring something new, it's attractive and there's an opportunity there. But it's an opportunity that needs, I think, some nuance. I, I, <laughs> I, I, even in superhero land, I mean, I think that somehow what you were saying, Tracy, about you know the ambivalence about it, I mean, it, it, when you actually have an opportunity to change the paradigm and actually say something about women having power, which in our current atmosphere would be like really something, a conversation to really enjoy. Um, that you, if you also bring along baggage, which is, you know, either sexist or racist or vaguely suggestive of being sexist and racist, that the power resides with white people, which might, yes, that can be true, but, and is true in, in, in so many places. But the issue really is um, now 
that these things have taken on a significance that is beyond being just a comic book figure. So nominating this person, nominating Wonder Woman as being a symbol of something that is universal and international and should be sort of, you know, dealing with issues of race and identity and and, and how people are portrayed um, and the whole complex uh, business of body types, all of it. It's sort of like a uh, it's like opening up a minefield, but then not really warning people and talking about the issues. And so it seems like as an entertainment, it'd be kind of fun and stimulating perhaps to for conversation. But in real terms, um, I mean, had I been at that committee meeting that picked Wonder Woman for that, but but then had I been at the Tinkerbell meeting, I'd probably <laughs> had a problem too. I mean, is it, what did he do? What exactly? I mean, isn't Tinkerbell a product anyway? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, it, it, somehow I don't know. Well, now at this point, as we were emailing around about this, I played my whole card, which is uh, this kind of interesting story about the background of Wonder Woman, who was created in the 1940s uh, by a psychologist. Uh, who'd actually been recruited by DC Comics to, to, you know, to work on their image anyway. But he really, he was, first of all, this very peculiar man who was living in a polyamorous relationship. Uh, he based Wonder Woman on both of the women that he was living with and that he fathered children with. Uh, he based some of the spirit on his actual wife. And then he was, um, the other woman was the niece, I believe, of Margaret Sanger, the uh, pioneering feminist and birth control uh, pioneer. Uh, and, and Wonder Woman, according to this guy, was also based a lot on Margaret Sanger, uh, his, her body or her appearance, anyway, was based uh, on the niece uh, of Margaret Sanger. And, you know, the whole idea initially, I mean, I sent this Jill Lepore piece from the Smithsonian. At one point, uh, Jill writes, she was a little slinky. She was very kinky. She'd left paradise to fight fascism with feminism uh, in, quote, America, the last citadel of democracy and of equal rights for women, exclamation point. Uh, when Marston, that's the guy who, who did this, created Wonder Woman in 1941, he drew on Sanger's legacy and inspiration. Uh, but he was also determined to keep the influence of Sanger on Wonder Woman a secret. Um, so now, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, we have a slightly different – I mean, I don't know whether the backstory is important <laughs> or not. but. I'm not, you know, to be honest, I'm. I find that fascinating. I, I really love to know how things are sort of birthed and, and evolve. Um, but I think when you think about it in the context of her being a representative, I'm not sure that it really matters because, you know, when you think about what the general public is seeing, they're not thinking about this really intricate, interesting, mm-hmm. you know, liberating, you know, birth of of this character. They're thinking about what they're seeing and what they know from the comic books. There's, there's, there's also a thing. I'm reminded of that line in um, in Doctor Strangelove where, where he suddenly explodes and said, but why did you keep it a secret? <laughs> 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 If you were really sincere about this, you know, sort of keeping it a secret makes it kind of like maybe it was your like secret kinky fantasy to do this. And so you take away the power of the sort of like possibility that you might actually have a serious point to it. We, well, we well, know actually that this guy did have uh, kinky fantasies uh, at least a little bit. Uh, yeah. A fascinating guy who also uh, invented the test for systolic blood pressure, which led to the development of the lie detector. So uh, there's like there are all kinds of things. Polyamory and polygraphs uh, play into this story. Uh, but yes, but what I, were you yeah, say? I just wanted to say that um, the fact that we feel um, a sense of ambivalence about her is probably because she combines all those different kinds of people in her 
in her, you know, in one and the fact, you know, in a way it's like every man's fantasy because she has a little, she has the smarts, she has the power, she's got the looks, she's got, you know, all the, all the good things from all the, all the possible, you know, mm-hmm. archetypes for women and they're all rolled into Wonder Woman. So maybe it's every woman's fantasy too. Could I just say one thing too about this? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm now committing the very unpardonable sin that I'm about to complain about. But, you know, there was this thing where, I don't know, 50 UN staffers turned their back on Wonder Woman at some ceremony or something. I was thinking, yeah, but I just feel like they're like 50 UN staffers from Sarah Lawrence or something. And I'm just wondering if I were someplace being menaced by Boko Haram or some other, you know, predatory group, whether I wouldn't like to have Wonder Woman, big, strong Wonder Woman with her power bracelets and her lasso of truth, you know, and her general ass-kicking abilities. I'm not sure that I would necessarily not prefer Wonder Woman and or, or that I would mind her bustiness or, or anything, you know? I'm just wondering if I live someplace else in the world and I felt very disempowered whether this might not be, you know, I mean, yeah, she's white and all this stuff. I get that. But I don't know. am I making any sense at all? Dead yeah. silence. Yeah. <laughs> There's always dead silence when I ask that question. It's a conversation killer. All right. Jonathan's telling me we have to take a break anyway. But I just wanted to stick up for Wonder Woman. I know. Yeah. She's getting a bad deal here. Yeah. All right. So uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We have some recommendations to make. Today's show was produced by Jonathan McPants and me, Kyone Wolf. We were both dressed as Wonder Woman. Our intern was Diana Fisher. The part of Bill Curry was played by Linda Carter. Keep up with all of our episodes. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. On Monday's show, The Scramble's back. And now, back to Colin. I feel like I'm going to get a lot of emails about who the Amazons were, because uh, it's complicated. But like in Greek mythology, the Amazon uh, warriors, they were these women warriors who among other things, would burn off one of their breasts so that they could draw the bow better. The breasts wouldn't get it. I mean, they were like really hardcore warrior women. And But I think the, it's more the, the Amazon name came later. Anyway, uh, yeah. we're time to do some recommendations. Wonder Woman is one of them. Yeah. Wonder Woman is an Amazon. She, she, yeah. 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 But she's got both of them. She has right. Yeah, she okay. didn't She didn't take it that far. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh, Irene, would you like to begin with uh, recommendations? Sure. Well, my first one is um, that I saw Moonlight. This, that's not my recommendation, though. It's, it's the, you know, the movie that's out. They talked about it on the nose last week. But I went and looked and saw on Netflix, there's his, uh, Barry Jenkins' other movie called uh, Medicine for Melancholy, which is a great title, too. Mm-hmm. And it's a lovely, lovely... It yeah. Oh, yeah, it's really... And it has the same types of... You know, you can see that he was sort of starting some of the techniques and some of the themes and some of the... You know, there's a lot of silence in there, too, but it's like a combination of silence and real um, depth of human interaction, you know, in a very simple story. It's, it's really great, and it's on Netflix, Medicine for Melancholy. Um, and also just, you know, thinking about um, the, the Kanye and um, Donald Trump as, as big egos made me think about gender and how, 
how and so how about women like what women are allowed to have those kind of big egos in our society and that led me to, to think about the, the Madonna just got this um, in, entertainer of the year award for two, 2016 for Billboard women of the year and she gave a speech that's online that's worth watching because it's really interesting to see her um, her how how different she is from from a male kind of you know what happens to a, a a woman with a big ego in our culture you know and and that speech is just I think fascinating just to right. watch the three, video of three recommendations so. all right very good uh, on to you James Hanley yeah actually that's an interesting thing just uh, related is the whole nature that ego is something that women aren't really approved to have and that's like right. sort of needs a male approval for for ego and yeah. ego is what has gotten us to a great degree into all of this trouble um but what i wanted to endorse were um two activists really well one group of activists save our water connecticut who have not let go of the issue in bloomfield over the giveaway of water by the mdc but they're also coming back to the state legislature, and I think that it's really amazing that citizens are finally becoming aware that the water is about to be hijacked mm -hmm. and to become a product, a corporate product that we'll all have to pay a lot more for and that it will not be out of our control. And these folks, Donna Landerman, I, my friend Tolly Miller, and people have been re working really hard on this. And it's really exciting to see that kind of activism really having results that people are really waking up to this idea. The other one is about those beautiful houses in the middle of the Yukon campus, nine faculty houses that were abandoned by the university. They were used by fraternities for a while. The, per the university put out a uh, press release, of course, to say, oh, we couldn't possibly afford to fix them because they cost a million dollars each to renovate. Well, you know, I think some of the most elaborate uh, Victorians in Hartford haven't cost a million dollars to renovate. It, this was a setup, and they've come to an agreement now where they'll pull down seven and keep two. And I just wanted to give a shout-out to Margaret Faber of uh, Connecticut Historical Preservation Council, who actually said that this was no deal. It was a shame that they came to this point because those nine houses are really very much a part of the character of the original University of Connecticut. Mm. And the, the, the uh, architect of the university, uh, I think, announced that, oh, what they wanted to create was a park-like setting in its place. Mm -hmm. I, I, words fail me on that one, but I just wanted to give a shout out to those people who are so active. Okay, great endorsements. Uh, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, what have you got for us? All right, I want to um recommend a local artist, uh, actual art artist, not a musical artist, Lindsay Fife. Uh, she does all kinds of different kinds of art. And I treated myself for my birthday to one of her little tiny paintings, um, which I can't wait to pick up. Um, but if you ever have a chance to check her out, she's got some open studios coming up. She's been on display in uh, uh, local galleries and whatnot, but definitely check her out. Right. Um, also, your community giving uh, for for the end of the year. Taxes are going to be coming up, and obviously there's a pledge drive going on here, um, but make sure that you, you make your charitable gifts at the end of the year. Um, I have been recently trying to look up uh, various uh, organizations that support uh, folks in Syria. Whitehelmet.org is yeah, a really great, great one. Um, Save the Children, mm -hmm. and, and then there are some local organizations here as Connecticut takes in refugees right. as well. Yeah, IRS, obviously, yep. and Doctors Without Borders is great, too. Is it FIFE for the artists? FYFE. FYFE, okay. So I, I've been thinking, first of all, I want to make, if you haven't ever seen it, speaking of the White House uh, and arts, uh, just Google Esperanza Spalding, 
uh, overjoyed White House. That's her performance of the Stevie Wonder song. So watch that video. It'll blow your mind, and you'll find out why Barack Obama had a crush on her, which I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, anyway, um, I wanted to, I've been thinking musically a lot about Burt Bacharach. I do a lot anyway, but even more um, about him lately. And so I've been looking – I just stumbled across this artist, Rumor, R-U-M-E-R, like Rumor Garden. Uh, she's, I think, a British singer of Pakistani uh, background. She has a very interesting backstory too. But, um, you know, in an age where people keep just drenching their vocals with melisma and all this ornamentation that plays so well at American Idol and the voice and stuff, you sort of look for somebody who can, who can disappear into the song and make the song come alive. So here's Rumor. She has a whole uh, album called This Girl, Girl's in Love With You. This is her singing the very difficult, A House is Not a Home, and just listen to how she kind of gets out of the way of the song and thus becomes a part of it. Darling, have a heart. Don't let one mistake keep us apart. 